Welcome back to another episode of the Crashing Up Podcast, where I provide you with the knowledge, insights, and lessons to build the next big thing. I'm your host, Randy Ginsburg, and today I have with me a very special guest and one of my favorite college professors, Dr. John Torrens. Dr. Torrens is an award-winning professor of entrepreneurial practice and a two-time Inc. 5000 entrepreneur with 25 years of leading high-growth companies with experience in developing high-performing teams, raising capital, and both buy and sell-side mergers and acquisitions. Dr. Torrens is a faculty member of the Syracuse University Whitman School of Management, Department of Entrepreneurship and Emerging Enterprises. But above all, he is now the author of the book, Lightning in a Bottle, How Entrepreneurs Can Harness Their ADHD to Win, where he shares his experience with ADHD as an adult and shines light on both positive and negative effects it can have on starting and growing a company. So without further ado, John, thank you for taking the time. I'm excited to get into this. Yeah, me too, Randy. Thanks for having me. So I know I just summed up your long, illustrious career in a few sentences, but can you give a bit more background on what you do on the day-to-day, what companies you did start that you're still involved in, et cetera? Yeah, sure. So um, right out of graduate school, I started a company. Um, actually, I'd, I'd worked for a year, didn't like the job, started a company, grew it. Um, and as I was growing it, I realized that I, I really didn't know much about business, right? I was a, uh, I was a speech therapist, speech language pathologist, going into business as a private practitioner. And that would have been fine. But as I started to add people, I started to hire people. And I think I was up to 10 employees sitting around this little conference table in my office, looking at all of them. And they were looking at me and I thought, wow, they, they really think I know what I'm doing here. And their livelihood depends on that. And I had no idea what I was doing, right? Um, so anyway, part of that story is that I, I went up, I went up to uh, the university and said, I, I just got to take an accounting course because, you know, at least at least if I know when I'm going bankrupt, then I can tell everybody, you know. Um, and they wanted to have me enroll in the MBA. I had a master's degree already, so I didn't want another one. So I I just enrolled in a PhD program. So I applied everything that I was learning in my doctoral program in business to my actual business. And we started to grow really fast. We went, you know, from 10 employees to 12 to 15 to 20. It seemed like, you know, almost every quarter I was doubling my revenue just because we were adding people so fast. And that was, that was kind of the fun part, right? I felt like that's what I was wired for. But then when it was time to start implementing procedures and policies and things like that, that's when things went off the rails. And some of my key people who were making the business run for me, um, you know, just we had a moment and I was like, wow, I uh, clearly I, I got to go figure out what's going on. So so that was the one company that I you know scaled and exited, bought back and uh, exited again. And, uh, but then I've also been an early stage investor in a cannabis company, telemedicine company, um, an ovulation watch company, um, telco company. So, I, so I've done a lot of early stage investing, um, but, but I tend to do better with the companies that, that I'm that I operate, <laughs> you know, just because. You know, I think I'm a, I'm a better operator than an investor, clearly. Definitely. So you mentioned in your book that you were diagnosed with ADHD as an adult. Can you talk about how that diagnosis came about? If this is something that you had had a feeling of all along, but didn't have a phrase or something to put it into words or how you came to this realization? Yeah, I mean, I always, I always felt that maybe I was a little different like that. Although, you know, when I was younger, we didn't really 
ADHD wasn't that much of a thing or, you know, we didn't have the same vocabulary we do now to identify it. Or, I mean, maybe we did, it just wasn't that popular. But I do remember getting in trouble as a school kid for blurting out answers in elementary school or, you know, things like that. So it, it came about because I was having trouble with, with the people managing my company. And, you know, I, I was working with a, with a CEO coach at the time. And, um, and she recommended that I, I go get, go see a psychiatrist and see if, if I do have ADHD. And so part of that process was in-depth interviews with me and my team. Uh, we, I actually had to have my parents send me all my old report cards from school up. You know, of course, like any good parents, they kept them in a box. <laughs> yep. So, so we were going through all these old report cards and, you know, it was very common. My teachers would say, you know, hey, if John just applied himself, he could do so much better. Or, you know, he gets his work done quickly and then goes and irritates and bothers the other students. He blurts out answers in class, doesn't raise his hand. He, you know, he's fidgety. Um, you know, so that's, that's kind of how it came out. And then, you know, the psychiatrist said, yeah, I mean, you know, you've had this your whole life, but you didn't just develop it and you've, you've managed it. And now you're at a place professionally where, all the things that you were good at, maybe because of your ADHD, are starting to cause trouble because you're in a completely different phase. Um, and he just sort of mentioned that off the cuff, not like he had any real knowledge about it. And I just sort of tucked it away in the back of my head. Um, I tried medication, didn't really like it. So I worked on other you know, compensatory strategies that have worked for me ever since. Um, but then as I started to teach entrepreneurship with, with undergraduates and graduates, and start to see a lot of that in them um, and just start to meet more and more people where I realized, hey, this is, this is, this is pretty common among entrepreneurs. And then I had the luck of uh, having my office right next door to Johan Wicklin, who's one of the premier entrepreneurship researchers focusing on ADHD and entrepreneurship and started just to connect all these dots and thought, you know, there's, there's definitely something there. And, you know, why not, why not go about trying to help entrepreneurs with ADHD, because even though there's so much good, there's a really dark side to it too, or not, or not dark, but a, a, a disabling side. It's a disabling condition. So, you know, if we could manage those downsides, amplify the upsides, I think everybody will be better off. Yeah, it's funny. You're talking about your report cards and I'm thinking back to mine and that sounds about verbatim to exactly <laughs> <laughs> everything that my younger teachers called out. Um, you mentioned Johan, and I know in your TED Talk, you talk about the study that you did with YPO, which I thought was fascinating. Can you elaborate a bit on that and the stats that you found? Yeah, so we, I, I just suggested to Johan one day that, you know, joking that as a member of YPO, there are, there are so many members with ADHD. So I just suggested to him that maybe we use YPO as a, as a, as a pool for subjects, and he loved the idea. So we, we sampled them and I think we sent it out maybe about 500 members who are in the entrepreneurship and innovation network within YPO. And to qualify, you, know, you have to have a company that's reasonably big. I think at the time it might've been 12 or 13 million in annual revenue, 50 employees. You have to have the, you know, you have to be at the top of the organizational chart. And what we found was in the normal population you might have about 12, 13% of people have ADHD. In, in this sample, we had about 62%. Uh, and, and we used a self-reporting scale that's been used by the World Health Organization and that sort of thing. So they may not have had the diagnosis, but they had traits. So we were, we were looking for traits, not just a diagnosis. And um, yeah, it was amazing. So it was kind of 
a, a you know a hypothesis that we had and it tested out and we were like yeah of course it, this makes total sense so these highly successful entrepreneurs had a variety of ADHD traits and interestingly this is something Johan's worked on after ADHD is not you know people with ADHD aren't a homogenous group right because there's inattentive ADHD hyperactive impulsive and then there's a mixed and it really, you know, the, the, the parts that are well-suited for the context of entrepreneurship tend to be more hyperactive and impulsive than inattentive. Um, so that's been super interesting. But yeah, all, all of these people, you know, connected with, uh, with the traits um, and other funny things too. Um, you know, I think we got about 100 responses back. They were just too incomplete to use, which was kind of funny given the sample. We had a bunch of entrepreneurs who were in the process of starting another business while they were still running a business at the time of the survey. So it was just, you know, a lot of things sort of came together to, uh, to make that connection. Yeah, that's amazing. And just for context, for anyone listening who doesn't know what YPO is, YPO stands for Young Presidents Organization, is as John, and as John mentioned, it's a collection of successful entrepreneurs, all who meet the criteria of having tens of millions of dollars in revenue and teams of 50 plus employees. So you mentioned that ADHD is often viewed as a disabling condition and that there are two types, inattentive, attentive, and that most of the entrepreneurs tend to or tend to skew towards the hyperactive sense. Can you talk about some of the qualities that's in a ADHD entrepreneur and how that can either be viewed as a disability or superpower? Yeah, so, so just a quick clarification. We, we, we don't really know for sure that, that the entrepreneurs tend to <clears throat> skew more towards the hyperactive part, we, but we, what we do know are that the traits involved in hyperactive and impulsive ADHD tend to be more functional in the context of entrepreneurship. I see. So yeah, I don't want people to think that just because they have inattentive or hyperactive and impulsive ADHD that it automatically predisposes them in some way, but it's true that those traits do seem to provide an advantage in the context of entrepreneurship. And there's, there's a couple of reasons. For example, one, if, if you have this inattentive, I'm sorry, if you have hyperactive and impulsive ADHD, one of the things that you're known for probably is this, um, uh, you have a high risk tolerance or a high risk propensity. And it could be possibly that you don't perceive risks like other people. And it could also be that you just, in your mind, you go through the mitigation techniques really fast, get to the worst case scenario and can live with it. Whereas other people don't do that. Another hallmark is what they call lack of premeditation. That's kind of the, the negative way to say it, but the positive way to say it would be you act quickly on your feet. You come to quick decisions. So while other people who don't have that ability are thinking through decisions and wringing their hands and trying to you know, get through every possible pro and con, somebody with ADHD might have already decided, good, bad, or ugly, they decided now they're moving on to the next thing. So you see this fast action ability to think quickly. Now, as you can imagine, that comes with a downside, right? So for every one of these gifts, there's a downside you have to manage because if you come to fast decisions and think quickly, sometimes that isn't always the best thing, right? Maybe it would have been better to think things through a little bit, sleep on it, engage your team, right? And that's the balance that we're, we're looking for is how do, you, how do you capture the good parts of it while, while keeping those negative parts at bay? 
So do a lot of entrepreneurs with ADHD often get advice or decide to take it into their own hands to mm -hmm. seek out co-founders or COOs that kind of complement that skill set? If they're going really fast, are they looking for someone to kind of settle them down and look at more of the holistic picture? It depends because there's so many other things at play. Interestingly enough, uh, ADHD is super well suited for the early stages of entrepreneurship, right? So when you're in startup mode and you're assembling resources and getting people on your team and, you know, evangelizing on the concept, that's when you shine, right? And I, you get to a point where everything that made you good at that is now making you not so good at the things that are required to keep the company going at scale, right? Policies and procedures, governance, boards of directors, you know, um, coherent use of the resources you've already acquired, um, clear communication, those types of things. So I think entrepreneurs who get to that point and realize it, you know, there's a big, um, there's this kind of self-loathing too, right? Like they beat themselves up a lot. They're like, man, I was doing so great. Now I'm not doing so great. What's going on? It's hard for them to realize that it, it, it's still it's still the same traits, the same qualities that used to work really well for me. I'm at a point in my business now where they're not working well for me, and a good percentage of them do seek out help. But my goal is to get more of them to do that because it doesn't take much to sort of reset and get them focused again, with the understanding that things that made them great in the first place are also the things that are going to tend to drag them down once they get to a certain level. Definitely. And I want to highlight the founder mental health aspect, because this is something I like to bring up a lot. You mentioned also in the TED Talk that entrepreneurs or people in general with ADHD also do have higher risks of um, depression, anxiety, things of that nature. Yeah. Can you touch on that and how that plays into the whole entrepreneurial lifestyle? Yeah, so we didn't look too much into that, um, you know, because our focus was squarely on the entrepreneurship angle. But what we did find was that, that there's a there's a big co-occurrence, right? So um, the important thing for me anyway was to realize that, you know, you, you may see this super successful entrepreneur, but you don't know what's going on inside, right? I mean, they could be having all this self-doubt. Um, you know, they could RSD, which is uh, rejection sensitive dysphoria, right? People you know, there's all sorts of things that they have. And it's really important to recognize that because they're doing well, not, you know, because everything's great in their life, but despite other things they're managing, you know? Yep, totally. Yeah. And so that obviously falls under the umbrella of downsides of ADHD. What practices have you put in place in your life or have you spoken with other entrepreneurs who've done the same to help combat mm -hmm. that? Yeah. So, so I've been doing this now with, um, so more formally over the past six months, but one of the, the most important thing that I found is, is an accountability partner, right? It could be a spouse, a business partner. It could be your COO. It could be a coach, but somebody who's going to be your unemotional accountability partner to just kick you in the butt when you need it. Right. So I, I maintain a small group of one-on-one -on -one clients that I work with. I tend to look for young entrepreneurs with high potential companies who have inattentive or yeah, I'm sorry, hyperactive and impulsive ADHD. And I work with them. And one of the things that I've noticed is that they already know what they need to do. They just need somebody else to give them a kick in the butt, to get them going, hold them accountable. And sometimes it's that simple, 
but there's a lot more going on too, right? So sometimes they're in the middle of the process of managing medicine with their healthcare provider and trying to work through that. You know, do I take Ritalin or Adderall or Vyvanse and what's the dose and that sort of thing? Because I tend to get them kind of early in their process once they've been diagnosed. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so, so that's something they're dealing with. Some of, sometimes they have substance problems that we've got to, you know, I'm not a substance abuse counselor, so we've got to refer them out to somebody for that because they've got to kind of get that under control. Um, but beyond the unemotional accountability partner or coach, there's a couple of basic things that we know work for everybody with ADHD, right? One, one is exercise or movement. Yeah, you got to get the ants in the pants out, right? Movement's good for everybody, but for people with ADHD who have different levels of neurotransmitters in their brains, that kind of movement is going to be super helpful. Uh, so getting in a movement practice every day, that's one of the things I work with my entrepreneurs on right away. The next thing is this idea of w- what's your activity like and what's your consumption like. So we talked about the movement part of the activity, but we didn't talk about what are you doing professionally for activity? Because if you're doing something that you just don't like or you're not that good at, you're, you're not going to move forward, right? Because you've got to focus on the things that you are really good at, the things that you're better than anybody else at. And hire somebody to do the stuff that you think you have to do, but you're not that good at, right? I use an example of a woman that I was coaching in my book. Um, she, she was raising capital and some of her partners kept pushing her, hey, you, you've got you to gotta make your pitch deck better, you know, you know, fancier, whatever. And she hated PowerPoint. She, just, that's, she, she hated that. She couldn't. She procrastinated. She did not like it. Um, so finally, I was like, why, why, don't you go on, why don't you go on Upwork and find somebody to do this for you for a couple hundred bucks? And w- once she did that, once she committed to spending $200, had somebody else produce her a beautiful slide deck, the weight of the world was off her shoulders and she was functioning. She was doing the things she was doing well because she wasn't beating herself up about the fact that she wasn't doing the slides. So that's activity, movement and exercise. And then what are you doing work-wise? But then consumption is also super important. So what are you consuming through your eyes and your ears in terms of media, right? Like right now, do you have WhatsApp, web and Instagram and Facebook and other messaging apps and a stock ticker and everything going on your four screens? Or are you kind of focused on what's going on and are you limiting those distractions? Do you have Outlook up or Gmail up? So as soon as an email pops up, that's the thing that attracts your attention, right? I think we've all done that, right? We've all been doing something, a message pops up and we're like, oh, we got to deal with that right now because it's kind of interesting, right? So there's a consumption angle there. Then in terms of what you bring into your body, we know that putting things into your body or uh, eliminating things from your diet is more effective than adding things to your diet in terms of helping, right? So minimizing caffeine, sugar, red dye, um, minimizing your alcohol intake, things like that. So we go through those types of things. And then I usually recommend a a mindfulness practice because that's been shown to help ADHD as well. And then it's really, once we get that under control, then it's really just business entrepreneurship coaching through the lens of somebody who's got hyperactive impulsive ADHD, which is actually really quite a bit of fun. And it's, I I relate to it and I love it. Yeah. I think the content consumption part that you mentioned is really interesting just because now everywhere you look, there's media and it's kind of impossible to get away from. And like a normal diet, there's junk food, there's the good stuff. And it's so hard um, to filter through on the decision-making portion. Is it that there are too many decisions to be made that people are constantly running through them? Cause I know I hear like a story of Steve jobs who he'd wear the 
black turtleneck every day because it would eliminate thought on what he was going to wear and freed up mental capacity to focus on better decisions. Is that something that people with ADHD have trouble with? And it's about, about prioritizing those decisions and where to use that mental capacity. Yeah. So it's a great example of a compensation, right? So, so in his case, he was like, look, I, I just, I don't want to think about what I'm going to wear. This is what I'm going to wear done. Right. That was just one thing you didn't have to worry about. Um, me personally, I, I, I am a neat freak about my work area and my desk because if there's stuff all over the place, I just can't function, right? So even though I'm you know, kind of a mess in other, other areas of the house or in my life, my workspace has to be immaculate and neat. So that, that's a compensation. So everybody's got different ones. Very interesting. Yeah. I'm back on the technology topic with content. I've heard people say, and I know, I guess, ADHD or ADD is now a bit in the past, but people say with technology and push notifications, everyone has a bit of ADHD in them. Do you believe this or do you think that it really is? That's just something that's overgeneralized and people are just having trouble focusing with all the pings and dings that are going on. Yeah. You know, it, it's, it's interesting because you know, so I, I turn off all notifications, right? Me so too. I, don't really, I don't really know I have something when I choose to look at it or pull from it. So nothing notifies me at all, right? Um, but I do, I do feel that we're becoming more distractible just because we're welcoming more distractions, right? Mm -hmm. So the more distractions we enable or welcome, the more distractible we'll be. So yeah, I, I think we have this sort of artificially imposed electronic initiated distractibility. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's a great, yeah. I don't know if you've read the book Indistractable by Nir Ayal or heard of it, but that's a great... I've got it right up on my bookshelf. Yeah. <laughs> hey, that's awesome. Yeah, no, I thought that was one of the most helpful books in, for me and just trying to like keep an open mind of how to limit the distractions. And like you said, I have had push notifications off for a while and it's a massive game changer. Yeah. And the other, the other thing I do, um, which I've been doing now for a while, because I heard a speaker talk about it and I thought, wow, oh, I could do that. And it, it's... You know, so I so I, I put my phone in airplane mode when I go to bed, um, and but when I wake up, I don't turn it back on for a half hour. So I get up, I make my coffee or my tea, and I sit there. I do a gratitude practice. I kind of look at my calendar for the day. I put in any things that I want to do because they're important, and then when I'm ready, turn airplane mode off, start seeing what came in, and triaging. And it's I love those initial thirty minutes, and sometimes. It goes 45 minutes because I'm like, yeah, you know, <laughs> I don't want to ruin my whole vibe here with uh, messages coming in. So, so I, I, I do love that. Yeah. That's one of the things that I know I should do. And I've heard other people do it too, but I'm just not there yet, but it's it really, tough. It, yeah. The first couple of days you're maybe a little antsy because you're like, what am I missing? What am I missing? But you don't miss it because you look at it later. Right. And it, it's just, it, it, it's, it's, an, it's a nice way to start my day. I realized. No, you're totally right. Um, I want to talk now about the writing the book process too, because I could imagine someone with ADHD, that is no easy task. I mean, I can think of myself just writing the book and I'm a very episodic writer. Some people were able to be organized and have a plan and say, I'm going to write 2000 words each day for 20 days, whatever it is, I was like, I didn't write for a month. And then I came back and I wrote 15,000 words and then I stopped for another month. How did that play out for you? 
Yeah, that was brutal. So I would, like I said earlier, we or before we started, you know, I would go to the cafe and say, okay, I'm going to try to, you know, bang out two thousand words or whatever now. And you know, being in a cafe with people coming up and saying hi, and it was just a, it was a terrible idea, right? I mean, it was, it was like a very cool romantic notion of how I'm going to write my book, but it wasn't working. Yeah. So what I finally did was, you know, I, I started reading or, or watching a lot of videos, talking to people. I actually talked to a bunch of other people who wrote books to get some best practices. And one of the things that helped me was just taking a two week span of time and plugging time into my calendar every day to do this. Because if I didn't do that, it was an afterthought. Or if I had a few minutes, I'd say, okay, I really should work on this, but how far are you gonna get in a half hour? So I blocked out two hours a day for a couple of weeks. And then I took a break and I did it again, uh, but it didn't, I think it only took me like three or four weeks to, to get most of it done. The other thing I realized that was super helpful because now in um, in Word they have the the trans or the the dictate option. So instead of typing and typing and typing, because when I was typing it, I felt like it had to be perfect. So what I did was I just turned the dictation on it and I just I just so I had a really good outline table of contents and then I just talked. Then I had the dictation and then I could edit that. And for me, that was so much better. I could I could whip through a chapter in a couple of hours once I had the outline done and I knew what I was talking about. And then then from there, I could just line edit it. And because for me, it was easier to edit something that was already printed than to do it from scratch. It's a silly distinction, but for whatever reason, it worked really well for me. So. Yeah, no, the text to speech is really incredible. One of the other entrepreneurs I had on recently, he created this app called Wellnest and it's basically your daily journal, but instead of writing it down, you're speaking it into your phone. And I love writing. I hate handwriting. I've tried actually journaling and it hasn't worked, but that is an app that I now use almost daily and I really love it. That is cool. Yeah. And I'm gonna have to check that out. So I, I've been keeping a handwritten journal since 1991. Actually. Wow. Yeah. And, and I kind of, I like the handwriting part of it. It's kind of therapeutic. It's it, it slows me down a little bit, right? Mm -hmm. Because I have to think about it, write it. And yeah, so I, I like the hand journal. Yeah, that's something that I've never been able to get into, but I can definitely see the positives of it. So yeah. as we wrap up, you have your book, Lightning in a Bottle, How Entrepreneurs Can Harness Their ADHD to Win. If there's one takeaway that you want entrepreneurs, whether it is with ADHD, without ADHD, or just your general reader to walk away with, what is it? It's that at each stage of your company's life cycle, there are going to be things you have to do where ADHD both helps you and it both and it hinders you. It's never one or the other. It's this constant yin and yang, right? So knowing that and being able to identify when it's helpful, when it's harmful and manage those properly is a, a really important key to success for entrepreneurs with ADHD. Awesome. Well, thank you again, John, for coming on. Um, the floor is yours to plug the book, let people know where they can find it, where they can learn more about you and get in touch with you. Yeah, thanks, Randy. So yeah, it's, it's on Amazon now. Here it is. Lightning in a Bottle, and uh, you can get it on Amazon. Um, there's a Kindle version, paperback, and you can go to uh, thetorrensgroup.com if you want any other information on the book or coaching or anything like that. So thanks for having me. Perfect. Well, thank you again. And that is it for this week's episode. If you like the episode, please let me know. You can leave a review, send me an email, click the feed letter link in the email. 
all of the feedback is used to make this the best that it can be. Thank you and see you next time.